Well, good morning, everybody. It's really good uh, to be with you again. Great privilege, uh, and I'm grateful for the invitation from Stephen to come and uh, stand in for him for a while. So, uh, in case you don't know me, my name is David Griff, uh, State Director, CMSWA, and uh, my passion is world mission. Uh, and I was, in a past life, a CMS missionary. And I was, uh, during that time, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody uh, about what I did. And I was telling this person that I worked in a country called Namibia. Just go to the next slide. Uh, and I, I worked for a little Bible college, but I didn't work at the campus. I, I worked in rural areas and um, tried to start little study groups where I worked through little so-called distance courses that we had and tried to get people to, well, help people understand the gospel, understand who Jesus was and, uh, or who Jesus is, and also how to read the Bible and uh, how to teach it to others. So I was explaining these things to this person, and um, she sat and listened, and then as I finished, she looked at me and she said, what a waste. What a waste. Next slide. Surely Namibia is a poor country with a lot of needs. Surely um, there's need for clean water, for decent provision of food, uh, prevention of diseases, provision of better education. What a waste to be teaching the Bible in Namibia. Well, don't think uh, any of us likes waste. I'm a bit of a waste Nazi myself, certainly uh, becoming more and more so. Um, I hate to see taps dripping in the house. Uh, I get all cranky if people leave lights on unnecessarily or if I see food thrown away. Can anyone relate? Can't relate. Uh, any teenagers have cranky parents about wastage? My, my, my latest crusade is against time wasting. My, my, my kids um, playing lo, lo, uh, uh, spending lots of time on the computers. I, of course, never waste time, so I'm in a good position to <laughs> pontificate about that. Um, but actually, uh, even developing countries uh, can be guilty of wasting. Next slide. Uh, Namibia is a dry country. Um, but there can be floods in the north where we were living, and this, on one occasion there was a flood like this. Uh, some people were displaced and put in a camp, and appeals were made for um, blankets and food, and this one particular company sent up truckloads of wheat bicks. And everybody was all pleased about that until suddenly it was discovered that the wheat bicks was out of date, expired by about two weeks. And there was great uh, public shaming and uh, media outcry, and this company had to send their trucks back up, collect all the wheat picks, and take it down and, and have it thrown on the tip. A few shaking heads. Don't worry. In Namibia, there are people who live on the tip, and so they had a feast. But is Bible teaching wasteful? Well, surely there are higher priorities. Well, certainly if we, if we think about some of the things money are spent on, 
And, and the main exhibit A that I have is, is Brit. Just, I think, hope that she's on the next slide. Uh, yes, so you guys are connected to her, and that's great. Uh, and I love Brit's newsletters. I haven't met Brit. I love reading her. I've Skyped, we've Skyped her once or twice. And uh, Brit is in her second year, nearly completed two years of language learning. And that's exciting, but we're paying for that. Language learning for two years. She writes in her latest uh, newsletter, I compute, sorry, <laughs> I commute an hour or so by bus, four days a week, having enrolled in a formal Arabic class in the capital. But I also hope to maintain two classes of spoken Arabic with a private teacher locally. Please pray that I'll keep up visiting local friends as I keep up with my homework and studies. So two whole years learning Arabic. In, in her country in the Middle East, there'd be a lot of refugees. Surely they have needs. Surely she could be uh, handing out food and clothes and things like that. Maybe a gospel tract hidden amongst them if she got the chance. But two years of language learning. As we think about waste, I, I think... The passage we read in Mark chapter 14 is, in, is helpful, so why don't we open that and we'll look at that and reflect on that. Mark chapter 14, it's on page 826 in your Bibles. Well, on these Bibles anyway. And this all happens, uh, next slide, at the time of the Passover. So the Passover, what we read about in the first Bible reading, and it's happening in a town called Bethany, verse 3. Bethany's a little village about uh, two, two kilometers outside of the center of Jerusalem. And it's a lovely congenial meal going on. There's uh, uh, a guy called Simon the leper. Maybe he's been healed from leprosy by Jesus, and uh, everybody's having a good time. And suddenly this woman comes in and she shocks everyone by pouring oil on Jesus' head. And in a way, the meal is spoiled. The meal is wasted because previously they'd been enjoying good conversation and now there's an argument. And she's anointing Jesus, something people there would have been quite familiar with. We're not so familiar with the practice of anointing, but I did get exposed to that in Namibia. Next slide. Uh, certain churches would hand out or even sell holy oil at the right time of year. And this oil was very powerful. Uh, if, you, if you got some of this oil and anointed your car you could be sure not to have an accident or if you anointed your pillow and you slept on it, then you could, um, you could get your long-lost lover back um, or you could get a job. So very powerful oil, this. Uh, of course, a terrible superstition and it's all done in the name of Jesus. It's all done in the name of the gospel. And it's a very clear example of how not explaining Jesus or not understanding Jesus clearly leads to distortions and untruth 
and things that are ungodly. Anyway, back to our meal. Everyone is shocked. What is the stuff that she's using? Well, we're told in um, verse 3, she's come with an alabaster, jar, an alabaster jar full of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. So next slide. Uh, uh, nard is made from this kind of plant, apparently, which you can find in Central Asia. And you, you extract an oil out of it somehow. And the oil is, uh, has got a very uh, lovely smell in it. But it keeps its value and it keeps, it, it, it keeps its constitution for, for years, decades apparently. And it's very expensive, we're told. Um, verse 5, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages or more than uh, 300 denarii. That was a coin that you got if you worked for one day. So, wow. Um, you, you know, if, uh, I have a, a fuel container that stops me even wasting a bit of fuel if I try and pour that into the lawnmower. Um, I, I wanted to get some of Alison's perfume and, and just pour it over the floor here as an illustration, but she wouldn't let me. But a year's wages... Uh, Obviously, those people were much poorer than we are, but um, you know, imagine comparatively if I poured out something on the ground worth $50,000 or $100,000, I think we'd be pretty shocked. CMS could do with that money. I'm sure your church could do with that money. The diocese could do with that money. Uh, what is she even doing with this? Um, was she so rich? Well, they, they might have been well-to-do people. Apparently, you might have this stuff if you were... Um, your, 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 your family fortune might be totally invested in a bottle of this stuff that would keep its value. You couldn't take your money to go to AMP or something like that, but you could invest in something like Nard, and you could keep it until you needed it one day. And that's what she's using Possibly. She's using the family inheritance. So she's probably Mary, the, uh, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, also from Bethany. The kids wasting the parents' inheritance this time. And this is a great opportunity that's also been wasted. They say in verse 5, the money could have been given to the poor. You can imagine if you were poor or hungry or homeless and you saw this being wasted, you might be upset. A wasted meal, a wasted inheritance, a wasted opportunity. Well, what does Jesus think? Well, his thoughts uh, are from verse 6. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. See, they had rebuked her harshly, we're told in verse 5. They rebuked her harshly. And now Jesus kind of returns the rebuke. Why does Jesus think this is not waste? If we read a little bit further, he says, The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could 
Very interesting. She did what she could. What could she do? Uh, could she have averted this crisis? Uh, verse 1 and verse 2 tell us that um, certain leaders were plotting, were scheming to get rid of Jesus, to have him put to death. Could she have stopped it? Uh, could she perhaps have gone to the, the Jewish Sanhedrin and said, hey, um, you know, certain, certain factions are, or, or certain members of, of the Sanhedrin are wanting to put, uh, have him arrested, put him to death. You've got to stop it. No, they wouldn't have listened to her. She was a woman. She, she was uneducated. She couldn't have gone to the Roman governor. Same thing. He wouldn't have had a bar of it. She couldn't have stopped it. But what does Jesus mean when he says she did what she could? Well, he goes on. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. It seems there was an opportunity to do something. Anoint his body beforehand for his burial. Did his body need anointing? We all know what happens to bodies when we bury them, uh, whether you anoint them or not. Didn't need anointing, but maybe, yes, maybe Jesus' body did need anointing. It's as if this woman is saying, Look, he's the Messiah. Everyone, can't you see? He's the most infinitely valuable person who has ever lived. You're having a casual meal with him. And he's going to die a terrible death. A death perhaps in our place. Can't you see what's going on? You see, by anointing him before his burial, she's using an opportunity to actually proclaim publicly who Jesus is and what, he came to, what he's come to do. Only someone like him should be anointed for their burial like that. And only someone like him who is going to die a death like his death should be anointed. So she's actually giving an example of the kind of thing we should be doing. There's more we can learn from her though. You know, if you think about this family inheritance, this alabaster jar, just go to the, go to the next slide, the, uh, this alabaster jar that she's uh, carried to Simon's house. Now Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they lived in Bethany also, but she would have had to have taken this jar to Simon's house somehow, and everybody would have recognized what it was, so she's probably been planning this for days or weeks. She's had to figure out how to get this stuff to Simon's house. Maybe at dusk when no one would see her, everybody's in their own home. Maybe she's carrying it uh, under her cloak, um, trying not to chat to anyone on the way. She's been planning this. And she's planned not only to anoint Jesus with some oil, which she could have bought at the marketplace, maybe some olive oil for a few bob. But no, she's chosen to anoint him with the most unimaginably lavish perfume that she could get her hands on. 
So she's teaching us in our proclamation of Jesus not to be impulsive, but to be planned and to be unimaginably lavish. So she's proclaiming to those people here and to whoever reads the story in a crystal clear way who Jesus is and what he came to do. And look how Jesus rewards her. Look at the promise he makes, verse 9. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. See, Jesus is making at least three promises there, not one. Do you see that he's talking about a gospel? You see, there will be no gospel unless he rises from the dead that he's being anointed for. So he's promising that he's going to rise from the dead. He's also promising about the fact that the gospel is going to be taken into the world. He's, he's making a promise that there will be a mission in the, to the furthest corners of the world, like, for example, Perth, Australia, where we sit here uh, soaking up the gospel. We're here because people have brought us the gospel. And he's promising there'll be a retelling of the story, just like what we're doing now. Every time we pick up our Bibles and read it in our own language, we read the story again. So three promises of Jesus to to reward her and to encourage anybody who wants to act in the way she acts. Those promises have come true. So as we seek to proclaim Jesus, we need to do it in a crystal clear way. We need to proclaim who Jesus is and what he came to do in a planned, careful and lavish way. So is it worth it for Brit in her country in the Middle East? You see, in her country, Jesus is proclaimed. People know about Jesus there. They hear about him in their book, their holy book. But exactly who he is is veiled. And what he did is distorted and downplayed and ignored. And it makes all the difference. It means those people there, most of them are not Christians. They have no part in the saving blessings of God yet. So that's why it's worth Brit getting on with the grind of language learning and struggling with it so that she can clearly proclaim who Jesus is and what he came to do amongst all the preconceptions and arguments against it. I mean, we know how hard it is to speak about Jesus here. That's why it's so important when you get the opportunity to go to little evangelism courses or to go and get yourself trained up at Trinity, to go to Bible studies. But we need to be able to dialogue and explain and listen because that takes skill. It takes effort. Um, But we need to also partner with people like Brit who is seeking to learn the heart language of people in their location so that they can clearly proclaim Jesus, his death, his resurrection. So I want to honour and thank you guys because you guys partner with Brit. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to encourage you in that. 
and affirm that. And I, every single person who prays for Brit as an individual and gives towards her, please keep doing that. And please perhaps plan if you can do it in a more lavish way. I want to encourage you, if you don't receive Brit's, Brit's newsletters, I want to encourage you to uh, put your name on the list. I'm going to pass it around. Yes, it's worth getting another email in your inbox. I'm not going to sell your emails. We, um, I'll look after it, I promise. Uh, but it's worth it. It's worth praying for her for five minutes once a week. It's a way of helping her as she proclaims who Jesus is and what he came to do. So let's try and do what this woman did. Let's be planned. Let's be lavish. Let's proclaim who Jesus is, the most valuable person who's ever lived, and what he came to do, the most effective priestly act, turning away the wrath of God from us and bestowing on us God's redemptive blessings. Amen.